But, uh, you know, everyone's watched football, seen it. And, and whether you like it or not, there's probably some little things you like about it. And uh, I, I don't know what your favorite thing to see in a football game is. It, it may be a, you know, a, a good, good pass play, a good run, a good punt return. Or, or you, you know, when, when a receiver, you know, stretches out to catch the ball, you know, and just someone comes alongside, you know, and he's got that ball in his hand, you just get, bam, leveled, and that ball just flies out of his hand, and you're like, yeah, you know, when you're, you're on the defensive team, and it's just like, man, that's just, that, that's just such a rush, that's just such a thrill, and, and there's probably different parts of the game that you absolutely love, but I doubt anyone would say, man, my favorite part of the football game is when they huddle. It's just so cool. They get in that circle. Okay. Because, you know, there's nothing exciting about it. It's just a huddle. That's just when they call the play. That's when the coach calls in a play to the quarterback. The quarterback tells a play to the team. You know, then they go out and do it. And the reason why I bring that up is I want you to understand something. When you get get together for church for this time, that's all this is. Do you understand that? That this is our huddle. Okay, that's it. See, for a lot of people, they think, this is Christianity. This is the climax of my Christian life. I get to church, I hear a sermon. No, that's just the huddle. That's just me grabbing the playbook, calling a couple of plays. You know, when I'm done, break, we leave, and we go, and we execute, and we go and do what was just said in the huddle. And what happens so often is a lot of people, this is, this is all their Christianity is. They come, they hear a bunch of plays, and they go out, and they don't do anything about it. And you understand, that's just as ridiculous as the team huddling together for a play, and then they all just go back to the bench. <laughs> you know? A few minutes later, they come back, call another huddle. You guys, that's all we're doing. And that's why the Bible says, look, if, if you're just hearing the word, you're deceiving yourself. Do what it says. Are you doing it? it it's such a concern of mine that, uh, that, that we just become a... a a meeting where we get together and I, I tell you what we, we ought to do. We, we read some verses from the Bible about how we should live our lives, but then no one does anything. And that's, that's exactly the way the world sees the church. Oh, the, the, the Christians, they're, just, they're, all, they're all talk. They get together and they talk. A guy talks to them, talks at them. And they, they kind of nod back and amen at him and then they, they go. And they come back do the same thing next week. That's all they do. It's just talk, talk, talk. If we want to get the attention, catch the attention and be exciting to the world, we need to go out and execute what we've planned. Actually carry it out. And what I want to do right now is I want to review. I want to review some of the things that we've been teaching so you can evaluate, hey, did I actually do anything based upon that? Is that all we're doing here, just huddling together? Are we carrying out the place? A few few weeks ago, remember we, we talked about faith? We talked about, that, that was the day when I brought the big raft out here. You know, I blow up raft and we talked about, you know, getting out of the boat and just, you know, just getting away from the boat and, and, and walking on water, doing something supernatural, something that takes faith in your life. Actually doing something where God's got to come through for you. And talking about, oh man, this is where life is. It's out on the water. It's holding the hand of Jesus in the most impossible situations and doing something in your life where you need him to come through for you. Something that requires some risk. That God hasn't called us to be safe and comfortable. And how that's such a struggle for us here in Simi Valley, safest city in the world. Let's be safe. Let's do this. Let's not take any risks. You know, God says, no, I want you to live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please me. We talked about that. 
We called the play. We're so excited about it. We're going to take our next step of faith. When you walked out the door, did you do anything? Have you taken any steps of faith in your life? Have you put yourself in any situations where God's got to come through for you? Things that aren't comfortable for you? Or are you still sitting in the boat? Then we we did a three-week series on the Holy Spirit after that. We talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. talked about how He's going to give us the words to say when we, need to, when we need Him. We talked about being filled with the very Spirit of God, about how God's Spirit lives in me, and I can put to death the, the deeds of the flesh, all the sin in my life. But we talked about what it meant to be filled with the Spirit. Remember when we went through that passage about being drunk? You know, I had the six-pack up here, and we talked about you know, just being filled to where we're under the influence of and where it affects everything that we do. And and that's how the Holy Spirit ought to be in our lives. That people can't spend 30 seconds with us without seeing God flowing through us. And we talked about how to be filled with the Spirit, where he says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Have you been doing that? We talked about making our conversations, you know, when we get together, to actually put God at the center and talk about what God has been doing for us. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs singing and making melody in our heart toward God. We talked about how you know, we should be praising God through song all day long. Wake up just praising God, singing to Him. When you're in the car, singing to Him. And just have this melody going on in your head throughout the day where you're just constantly praising Him. And how that will change you, that will fill you with His Spirit. Then after that it says, and giving thanks to God in everything. We talked about being thankful people. And how we could just wake up in the morning, God, thank you for another day of life. Thank you for, you know, running water. Thank you. Just nonstop for everything. Walking in this room, going, man, thank God. Look at all these people that came to worship you, God, today. Thank you we get to hear another message. We get to hear from your word. Thank you that we get to go out and do these things. Have you been doing it? Have you been thanking God? All day long? Have you been singing to Him throughout the day? Making melody in your heart? Have you been putting him at the center of your conversations so that you can live a spirit-filled life? That's what we said we were going to do. Then, then uh, after that, we did a two-week series. I did a two-week series on money. You know, again, out of Luke, just uh, the, the rich man and being rich toward God. You know, we talked about the guy that was storing up all this stuff in his barn and building bigger and bigger barns and how we can get so caught up in that and, and how God takes that man's life and says, you know what, you're dead. I'm taking your life. I'm, remember that the whole picture was that word, the, the ransom, no, demanding his life back, you know, and how our life really isn't ours. You know, it's on loan from God. He's given us life right now. We're supposed to use it for him. We talked about not storing up treasures on earth, you know, and storing up a treasure for yourself in heaven where Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. We talked about, wow, you know, to, to actually sacrifice something that we love. Not just giving our leftovers, but actually sacrificing something we love so that at that moment, boom, there's this, this reward for us in heaven and we're storing up treasures in heaven because we want our hearts to be there also. Have you sold anything? Made any financial changes in your life? Are we still living greedy, selfish lives? See, the whole point of this is to do something. Last week, we talked about the return of Jesus Christ. And about, man, would you be excited if he came back while I was speaking? And a lot of you said, no, I don't want him to return just yet. There's things I still got to do. Did you do them this week? To where now you can say, okay, now if he returns, great. Can you say that now? 
You know, because somebody said, no, I didn't share with this person yet, I didn't share with this person yet. Would you do that this week? Well, I had this sin in my life, I just want to get it right, so if he returns, he just found me in this way, did you do it? Have you done anything? You guys, it's just silly. It really is for us just to gather together every week and say, here's a sermon. And, and I just believe this is what happens in churches all across the nation. Here's a sermon. Here's a few plays. Here's some things we can do. All right, see you next week. And, and that's it. See, church is not something we attend. Church is something that we are. Okay, you understand that? We are the church. Okay, this building and this meeting isn't the church. It's, it's us. We are the church, the bride of Jesus Christ. And, and as we go out, we're supposed to be this body that is going out and living it out, doing what it calls us to do. Well, this week, something we're going to do right now is I want to show you a video, um, just real quick, of something we can do. Okay? Not just talk about the poor, but just something we can do. And uh, look pretty good. Uh, just, just watch the screens, and uh, they're going to show a video right now. Um, Dave Phillips from Children's Hunger Fund, you know, a member of our church, um, has an opportunity for us as a church. And uh, so, if you guys will watch. Hi, my name is Dave Phillips. I'm the president of Children's Hunger Fund. Children's Hunger Fund is an evangelical children's ministry that's uh, based in Southern California, but we're international in scope. Our programs are designed to reach out to children in need and share with them the love of Jesus Christ. And everywhere we go, we work very diligently to elevate the role of the local church in reaching out in poor communities to share Christ's love with those in need. One of our new programs is a CHF Food Pack program. And this program is designed to get churches and individuals to provide food in a finished box of food that we can deliver directly to the homes of the needy. And that's where you come in. Today, your church begins their campaign to support the Children's Hunger Fund. The program is easy and works like this. You may pick up as many boxes as you like from the designated location established by your church, but please take home only as many boxes as you intend to fill. The approximate cost of food for each box is only $15. We've found that this project has great impact when you involve the whole family. We've provided for you a grocery list of priority foods from which you can choose to fill the box. Please avoid using glass containers or food items stored in Ziploc bags. Next, fill out the enclosed personal information form and make out a separate $5 check for each food pack to cover shipping and distribution charges. Please make the check payable to Children's Hunger Fund or CHF. Place the personal information form along with your check into the clear plastic packing envelope on the inside flap of the food pack box. Firmly seal the top of the box with clear packing tape. Take time to reflect with your family. Thank God for his blessings and recognize that there are others living nearby and around the world that are less fortunate. Pray that the recipients of your food pack will be blessed and that this gift will bring them hope. Pray for those who will deliver these food packs as well. Return your filled food pack boxes and any extra empty boxes you may have to the designated location at your church before the campaign closing date. At the conclusion of your church's food pack campaign, your boxes will be collected and distributed to the poor by trained compassion volunteers who seek to develop relationships with those whom they are serving. Thank you for participating in this significant relief endeavor. You will be able to show God's love in a tangible way and allow your entire church to experience the abundant blessings that God bestows upon those who help the less fortunate. 
Proverbs 19.17 says, If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord. He will repay you. So in your bulletins, you've got a little insert that tells you all about it. And in the lobby, there's going to be a bunch of boxes out there. Um, so go ahead and grab one. And, you know, some of you guys go, well, you know, why don't I just write a check and just give them some money or whatever? Or can you do this for me? You know, the, the whole point of it is the process. Uh, not the whole point. A lot of it is the process. Is, you know, let, let, let's face it. Us, we out here in this area, we don't, we don't think about the poor a lot of times because they're just not in our face. Um, we don't rub shoulders a lot of times with those who are really in need. And this is an opportunity for you to actually do something, and while you're doing it, your mind actually be on them and your prayers being with them. Something you can do, you know, with friends or, or even as families. You know, just an awesome thing to start instructing your kid and saying, look, this is what we as a family stand for. You know, we, we, we live to, to serve God, and we're going to go, we're going to go fight the picketers and go into the market, you know, and, uh, you know, get some food and, uh, you know, and, and fill this up. Because, you know, just, just be, you know, we're going to pray that the person who receives this will also receive the Lord because the people that deliver it are going to be sharing the gospel with them. And one of the desires we have is that we're going to do this thing. It's, you've got three weeks to fill up the box and bring it back. But we want to do it again in the spring and actually, uh, you know, send a container full of these boxes to El Salvador and, and have a group from our church go and unload the, the boxes and go and take them to homes and actually be a part of the sharing the gospel and everything else. And so we're just trying to create ways where we as a church actually do stuff. And uh, so I encourage you to take part in that. And, and it, it can just have such an impact on your own life just to start thinking and just daily thinking about those who have greater needs than you do um, financially. And, you know, the thing about Jesus is he did not just talk about his love for us, right? I mean, he didn't just say, hey, come down on the earth and go, I have such strong feelings for you, and then fly away. No, that's not what he did. What did he do? He came down and became one of us. He lowered himself, emptied himself, became a man, and then he died on a cross for us. He showed his love. And as believers, we're not supposed to just to be about talk. It's about actually showing and doing something tangible. And so we want to just create more opportunities like that. I mean, if you look at Luke, we've got a couple of verses to look at today. Because that already took a lot of our time. But Luke 12, verse 49, as we continue the series in Luke. Luke 12, verse 49. What, what Jesus says there is, uh, is really interesting, these, these two verses. He says, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Okay? And the first thing Jesus says, I've come to bring fire on the earth. Literally, the word is to throw. It's, it's to throw fire down on the earth. Jesus says, that's what I came to do. Now, when we think of bringing fire, what's he talking about? The, the most simple understanding of fire being thrown down is judgment. You know, a lot of them probably would have, when he said that, would probably have thought of Elijah. And when Elijah called fire down from heaven in, in 2 Kings chapter 1, and he's calling this fire down to judge these people, you know, this group of people that comes to him and doesn't repent. And then another group comes, he calls down fire again. It's this idea of judgment. It's, it's, it's a picture of revelation. Um, understand something. Jesus came to judge the world. Jesus is coming to judge the world. He is the judge. And, and a lot of times in churches, they don't ever talk about Jesus being the judge. They always talk about him being the Savior, being the Savior. But, but the Old Testament saint, they understood the idea of judgment. They understood the, the idea that the, the Messiah was coming to rule, to reign, to judge the world. 
And so Jesus says, you know, I, I've, I've come to, to, to punish, to judge the world and to throw fire in the world. And he says, how I wish it was already kindled. I wish, you know, the fire was going and this is what was going to happen right now. He says, but first I've got this baptism to undergo. Okay, what's he talking about? Does it mean he has to get baptized? No, he was already baptized. What, what was this baptism? Uh, if you remember, um, remember it's similar to uh, Mark, I think it's 10, where, where James and John... James and John, James and Peter, James and John. James and John, they say, uh, hey, 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 Jesus, can, when, when you set up your kingdom, can I sit on the right? Can he sit on your left? And Jesus says, you know, before that all happens, he goes, are you guys able to drink of the cup that I'm about to drink of? And are you guys going to be able to undergo the baptism with which I'm going to be baptized with? Remember that passage? Remember what Jesus was talking about? He was talking about his crucifixion. He was talking about this persecution that's going to come up. He goes, you guys want the reward, you want the end result, but are you able to go through the suffering that I'm about to go through? Are you going to be able, and he uses that term, go through that baptism that I'm going to have to be baptized with? It's the same thing here. He's talking about this crucifixion, and he's talking about his disciples. Look, yeah, you'll get that reward, but first you're going to be persecuted. You're going to die for your faith. And, and so here, it's, it's the same thing. He goes, he goes I, I come to judge the world, but before that, I've got this baptism to undergo. Uh, the word baptize means to immerse something, to dip something. You know, like when we do baptism here, you know, we dip them into the water, they immerse it. And, and so this baptism he's talking about is this immersion into his suffering, this, this complete overwhelming being overtaken by the suffering that he's going to go through. A, a type of judgment, if you will, because he was taking our judgment on the cross. Jesus was going to pay the penalty for our sins on that cross. And, and what he says there, he goes, I've got to do this first. And he says, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Isn't it interesting that Jesus used those words? He's thinking ahead to the cross and he's just going, man, I am so distressed until this happens. This is so hard for me. The, the word distressed is... a. It literally means to be dominated by a thought. Okay, you, you can imagine. Like, like if, if, you knew, if you knew that next November you were going to be crucified. Let's just imagine this right now. Let's say you knew a year from now you were going to be crucified. That you were going to go through the exact same torture as Jesus Christ. Imagine that right now. That you would be flogged, tied to a post and beaten and whipped. And then eventually nailed to a cross to suffer for hours until you suffocated. And you knew that was coming up next November. Now after that, once you die, then you go to heaven. But can you imagine what your life would be like this whole next year if you knew that was coming up? I mean, could you really think about anything else? See, that's what Jesus says he's going through. His, his thoughts are dominated by the fact that he has to undergo this baptism. See, the thing you've got to remember, a lot of times we think of Jesus and Him going to the cross like, oh, no big deal, He's God, it couldn't have hurt that bad. And it's like, no, you've got to understand, when Jesus was on the earth, He was 100% man. A lot of times as Christians, we defend the deity of Jesus Christ, but we've got to remember the humanity and understand that, that He was every bit as human as you are. That it hurt just as bad. And that's why you hear this verbiage from Jesus saying, man, 
I've got this baptism to undergo, and I'm so distressed. It's overtaking my thoughts until it's complete, until that part's done. He goes, how I wish I could jump to that other part, just like you would. I wish I could just you know, skip the crucifixion part and just jump right into heaven. If you knew that was coming up. See, this is what Jesus went through for us. And so when we take of communion, don't take of it lightly. Don't just go, okay, another cracker, another cup of juice. It's, wow, this is what Jesus went through for me. He was distressed about it, you know, and he prays to the Father, Lord, if there's any other way, could you take this cup from me? doesn't sound like a man that was going through something that wasn't going to be a big deal. That's not going to hurt that bad. I'm God. No, he understood the pain and the horror of the crucifixion, but he did that for you and for me so that we could have eternal life. He paid the penalty. It was that grueling so that you don't have to pay the penalty at the end of your life if you believe he took it for you. So that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage as a judge and as he's coming to judge this world, but first he comes to save it. So those of us who believe won't face the judgment of God. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me just turn. It's just because, you know, we just don't, uh, we don't talk about judgment enough, I, I believe. No, don't turn to 2 Corinthians 1. Turn to 2 Thessalonians 1. That would be even better. Turn to 2 Corinthians on your own time. 2 Thessalonians 1. Starting in verse 5. 2 Thessalonians, real small chapter book. It's probably just one page in your Bible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 5. It says, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Okay. Pretty clear what Jesus is doing. Okay. He comes to judge. He comes to punish those who don't believe. He comes to save those who believe. And it talks about our protection and how there is going to come a day of judgment. And, and it's weird how we have such a hard time with this nowadays. Like We just go, no, God has no right to judge. Understand, this is a very new concept that we've made up here in America. This whole idea that, you know, hey, this, these are my rights and he can't tell me what's right and wrong. That, that's just so weird to me. That, that that's the way we speak now and the type of arrogance we have and just say, you know what, I am man. You know, he's only God and he can't do this to me. You know, it's just, just ridiculous. God is God. Whatever he does is fair. And we come under him. We submit to his lordship. And he's coming to judge. And we thank God that he came first and went through this distress and this pain for us and died for us that we can be saved from that judgment and saved from that wrath. But understand that Jesus Christ is judge and he is going to come to judge the world. Now, first he goes through this pain and he says something to the disciples in verse 51. 
He, he explains to his disciples, his followers, look, you're going to go through a baptism yourself. You're going to go through some persecution and some suffering yourself. He says in verse 51, he says, do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother-in-law, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He, he, he asks a very simple question. He goes, hey, did you think I was coming to bring peace? He tells his disciples, did you think that I was going to come and suddenly the whole world was going to unite and everyone's going to believe in me and we're going to go on our merry way and everything's going to be fine? He goes, no, I came and I knew I was going to bring division. The exact opposite of peace. You will be in a state of division, even in your families. You can have a family of five and there will be three of them against two. Why? Because three have decided to follow me and two have decided to resist me. And he says, and it could cause such tension. And some of you guys know exactly what I've, I'm talking about. Because it's happened to you. Once you decide to follow Jesus and get on fire, suddenly you are just kind of ostracized from the family or looked at as, well, that's a... It's kind of radical. He just kind of went off the deep end. She just became this Jesus freak. You know? And, and, and the thing is, is, is that a lot of times, it's like when we as Christians here in America face persecution, we go like, what went wrong? We're surprised by it. Like something went wrong. Wait, I thought everything was going to be easy. I thought it was going to be peaceful. I thought, I thought my Jewish family was going to be great. You know, so thrilled that I decided to follow Jesus. You know, I thought my Mormon family is going to be thrilled that I'm searching out the scriptures now. I thought that this was going to happen. I thought this was going to happen. And it's like, wow. You know, I thought my Buddhist family was, was going to love, you know, my... Hey, that's not the way it works. He says, it's going to cause division. It's going to be difficult. And some of you guys have found that out. And, and it's so painful. And Jesus gives us those words of encouragement where, where he says, look, hey, no one who's lost fathers or brothers or mothers or sisters or anyone for the sake of my name, you're not going to fail to receive a hundred times as much in this life and in the life to come. And he, he mentions specifically not just money issues, but he talked about family. And, and I heard for some of you, man, because some of you told me some stories of the moment you got baptized or the moment you became a believer and, and, uh, and just what happened in your own homes. Some of you even live in quote-unquote Christian homes. And yet, once you got serious about your faith, even then, it caused you know, a lot of distress in your family and even division over your commitment to the gospel and your desire to serve God. Following God brings division, and, and Jesus is very clear that God comes first. I mean, he wants us to honor our parents and honor our families, love our families, but God comes first. And, I mean, honestly... This is probably the most. This is the most difficult thing for me, is to, is to keep God above my family. Okay, that's just something we're going to struggle with. I mean, money. A lot of us struggle with that. But for me, it's like money. I could care less. Stuff doesn't matter. But but sometimes for me, the struggle is really loving God more than I love my family, because honestly, I'm crazy about my wife, and I'm crazy about my kids. You know, and they're just so cool, you know, and I just love them so much. And, and that's good and that's right. But the difficult thing is, is making sure that God's still up there above them. And that as a family, it's not just all about us and whatever makes us happy, but as a family, we all fit, fall under God and say, no, what does God want for this family? And, and at times, maybe there will even be a little bit of division over decisions that are made. 
because some of us are, are more serious about it than others, that there will bring some of that division. And that, that's really difficult. And Jesus says that's going to happen, and that's going to be a struggle for us because we love our families. And, uh, and they did too, and that's why Jesus brings this up to them. Understand this isn't going to be peaceful. This isn't going to be easy. But, but one last passage I want you to turn to, and that's in Matthew 12. As, as we talk about this, and we've talked about this because uh, Matthew 12, it's, it's similar to uh, Luke chapter 8, same, same story. But, but look at Matthew 12 in, in verse 46. Matthew 12, verse 46, it says, While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, Who's my mother? And who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You see, Jesus is speaking to this group of people, and they go, Hey, you know, someone comes in, Hey, your mother, your, your brother and sisters, they're outside. And Jesus says, My mother? My brothers? My sisters? He goes, Who's that? And he starts pointing to the ones that were following him. He says, you know, that's my brother right there. You want to know who my sister is? That's my sister right there. That's really my sister. This is something that's thicker than blood, the connection we have in the spirit. And he explains how this is our family. It's a pretty incredible thought. But that we have this family that extends far beyond blood, but, but uh, in the spirit. See, Richard Bebo is my brother, as much as anyone on this earth is. You know he's white. He's my brother, you know? And the whole point of, in God's eyes, he wants us to really see ourselves as brothers. That is what would be pleasing to God, for him to look down and see this group of people that, that may not even normally hang out with one another, but because of our bond in Jesus, we actually see ourselves as family. And more so than even our blood relatives, that we'd have that type of bond. See, and, and when you study the early church, you see they were committed to that. In fact, it says the early church was not devoted to just attending church, singing songs and hearing a sermon. What it says clearly in Acts 2, they were devoted to the teaching, so they were devoted to this teaching time, but they were also devoted to three other things. It says to fellowship, to actually communicating with one another caring for one another's needs, fellowship, the breaking of bread, communion. It wasn't just taking a piece of bread and, and drinking a little, little, piece of, little cup of juice, but really remembering the body of Christ and to prayer, those three things. To really praying, not just saying, okay, well, let's transition so we'll have a prayer time. No, but really genuinely praying. That's what the early church was. It was a family that, that prayed together. They broke bread together. They fellowshiped with one another and they came together to hear the teaching. And I really think we're lacking in three out of those four. Um, and, and, and we've been trying to emphasize this more and more. But, you know, it's, it's just hard. I feel like as the church has grown, we've got all these locations. We've got people right now watching, you know, in, in the multi-purpose room. We've got people in Moore Park right now. We've got people at the North Campus. And it's just like we're just scattered all over the place. And it's just become more and more like a meeting and less and less like a family. I mean, really, you look around, you really feel like this is your family? We haven't had that feel here. We haven't really pursued it, and it's something we really want to change because that's what God desires of the church.